This show is produced and hosted by Mark Weber. The show is sponsored by G3 Apparel. The views expressed in the following program are those of the sponsor and not necessarily the opinion of 710 WOR or iHeartMedia. Who is Mark Weber? He's a self-made business executive here to help you find your success. From the New York City projects to the Avenue Montaigne in Paris, his global success story in the luxury world of fashion is inspirational. He's gone from clerk to CEO twice. Mark is classic proof that the American dream is alive and well. Here's your host of Always in Fashion, Mark Weber. I'm on top of the world. The other day I was walking. Beautiful sunshine. It was cool, a bit of a breeze. My path chosen was framed by trees. It was picturesque. You can see this path. That in and of itself is unusual in life. I reached a point, a choice. Follow the winding path or exert myself and climb the hill. I chose the hill. I often take these walks because I believe they're healthy and, yeah, smart. But I also am often searching for inspiration. What am I going to talk about this week on the show? Now, we are original content here. There's no path to follow. It's not the weather. It's not the news. It's not sports. It's whatever and wherever the path takes me. And my path is strewn with opinions. But Apple lists us as social commentary, cultural, and lifestyle. And here, (laughs) I thought I was a business show. But there's lots of pressure finding a creative topic each week. But like Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Careers, family, life. The Radio 1 podcast, it's responsible. Ah. Which gets me back to my walk. Sunshine, cool breeze, until I walked up the hill and got blasted by a 20-mile-per-hour wind. You see, down below I was shielded by the trees, and up here it was me alone. And then it hit me, and it reminded me, at the top of the mountain, the wind blows harder. What a metaphor for business. At the top of the ladder, there are fewer jobs. Those positions come with great responsibility, and you're responsible for others, not just yourself. In business, there's a pyramid, and the higher you go in the pyramid, the more the pressure grows. The higher you rise, the more responsibility hits you, like wind. There's also less of a safety ladder when you're responsible. And from this walk, a thought, a concept, a show was born for tonight. I've been thinking about responsibility and the winds of change. I've been thinking about accountability. I've been thinking about pressure and the effect it has on people. Yeah, I've been thinking which way the wind's blowing. More than ever, our words matter and count. We're judged by every word. We're analyzed and held accountable for a posture and a stance. More so now than ever, our words can matter and be misunderstood. The judge and jury is the other side, and the other side always seems to be there. Now, I swore off politics when President Biden was elected. After eight years with President Obama, in my view, he was unfairly attacked by the right, never given a break. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't like most of his policy. Didn't like them. I thought Obamacare, though, made sense. Anyway, the everyday attacks, I couldn't take it anymore. And then Trump became president. Now, Trump is his own worst enemy. Not while all those Democrats were allowing would he ever be his worst enemy. He never, though, had a moment's peace. He was never given a chance. He was undermined, railroad, lied about, always, every second, second guessed. I couldn't take it anymore. I thought many of his policies, if not most, were not good but great. I believed the country was on a roll, pointed in the right direction everywhere. It didn't matter you didn't like Trump. How could his policies be any good? That was a country lacking common sense. There's Trump the man and there's Trump the policies. But Trump, style cost him. It cost the country. He lost being Trump. Not losing for his policies. Common sense. Sense, please. Everything was working in the country. And now the Democrats went radically left. I walked away. Now leave me alone, I said. Leave me out of it. I don't want to have anything to do with the news except COVID. And almost the entirety of 2021, this show reflected it. No comments, no politics. I wasn't interested. I was not watching the news. I was not aware until I was made aware. This country's not working. 
and the wind hit me with a hurricane force. Now this is a week that I felt the winds of change. On that hill, in my or our lives, it seems to have caught your attention as well. I often call out for you, the listeners, to reach out to me on LinkedIn, comment on the show, and this was a big week for comments. We were inundated with thoughtful comments. One woman in particular on politics cleared up my confusion. She stated the obvious, which was not obvious to me, but probably obvious to anyone who gets it. I had to slap myself in the head with the palm of my hand. Why didn't you see this, you idiot? How can I be left of center on social issues and hard right on international affairs and economics? Well, she made it clear, and now I'm paraphrasing. I listened to your show last night. I didn't fall asleep. I was interested. You're an independent with a great point of view. You should run for office. (laughs) Well, I'm not declaring my candidacy, but I am declaring my independence. I'm an independent. I can pick the best from both sides. And that begs the question, why can't you? Why can't you see what's great on the left? Why can't you see what's great on the right and make a better person out of you in this country? (sighs) The point is, I got lots of comments this week, and I can't wait to share them. The good, the constructive and ego building, and the bad, which is, well, insulting, but it's all helpful. Now, I shouldn't be surprised, because at the top of the mountain, the wind blows harder. I'm on the radio. I'm on podcast. I'm feeling the wind. In business, I climbed that mountain twice. I did feel hurricane winds up there. I know what it's like to be the boss, and I know how lonely it is at the top. Speaking winds, there's a favorable wind blowing for my son, co-host, and lawyer, Jesse Weber. Hey, Jesse, 330 million views this week for you and the Lauren Crime Network on your coverage of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Wow, that's amazing. Talk at the top of the mountain. How's the wind blowing in Fairfax, Virginia? Well, if it's blowing great for me right now, this is unbelievable. We're, we're getting exposure that we never got before. It's pretty incredible. I'm walking around. People know me. They know the network. It's it's unbelievable. It's a, it, As much as it's a very serious trial and it's a, dealing with very serious issues, for us to be able to actually show it to the world and showcase what I can do, that is an amazing moment. What's it like being in the courtroom with them? It's weird. And I'll tell you why it's weird. So when I was in the courtroom when Johnny Depp testified, it was interesting. It was kind of surreal. Everybody was quiet. They were listening to every word he had to say. When she took the stand, Amber Heard, the mood changed. The majority of the people I see in that courtroom are Johnny Depp supporters, so it felt a little tense. When she was testifying about him doing certain things to her, I was looking over the courtroom, and a lot of people are snickering, whispering, making comments. It felt like a very different, weird environment. Now, when I look over at the jury, they're stone-faced. They're not showing any emotion. They're taking notes. They're looking at what she has to say. That's the only people that I care about. But as far as Amber Heard, it it can't be easy for her to tell these stories and to tell these allegations in front of the world, but also a courtroom filled with people that she knows don't believe her. It's a very weird experience, uh, but it's a fascinating experience as well. Well, how is the trial going now? I can't take my eyes off of her. We talked last week. He made a very compelling case for himself that he never laid a hand on her. And now it's starting to sound a little different watching her. Unless she's the greatest actor or actress in the world. Let's start with that. People watched her take the stand and they said, you know, she seems really rehearsed. She seems like she's faking it. She seems like she's scripted. In fact, when I was leaving the courtroom and I was going to the bathroom, I overheard a lot of people who left the courtroom and said the same thing. They felt it. Here's what I say to that. If that's true. If she made up all of these stories, and there are a lot of stories, she's able to make up a ton of details and talk about this and make up stories like that, like she's a computer. Or is it really this happened or parts of this happened? And here's the most important thing to remember. The jury only has to believe one act of abuse. It could be verbal, psychological, physical, sexual, mental, and Johnny Depp loses the case. It's not about whether or not Johnny Depp committed a crime. It's all about whether or not she lied about him. And if the jury believes one act of abuse and she's telling so many different counts of this happening over the course of the relationship, he loses. So it seems to me that if you're Johnny Depp, it's a tough legal case for you. Come on, you got to believe some of what she's saying. I'm a big Johnny Depp fan, but I'm very disappointed hearing her outline everything. She's very credible as far as I'm concerned. Look, 
it's very clear. We all see the text messages where he calls her derogatory terms. We've heard audio recordings where he doesn't say nice things. So they could say, you know what? He was verbally abusive to her. That's domestic abuse. She didn't lie about him. And then he, he loses. Let's step back. I got a different question. For me, whatever he did, whatever they did, they were um, a dysfunctional couple. I think she's admitted she was physical too. Did she? She did, but her response is she was reacting and acting in self-defense. Self-defense. But the question for me, I guess for the world, I guess for Johnny Depp, my point of view, is he wanted to clear his name of being a wife beater. Where's the trial of public opinion other than people like Captain Jack Sparrow? That's the problem, is that people who love Johnny Depp are going to believe him no matter what. People who love Amber Heard are going to believe her no matter what. It's all about the people who are undecided. And I have to tell you, from the people that I've spoken to outside of the courtroom, public opinion is swaying in Johnny Depp's favor. The reason I know that is because Amber Heard, at the beginning of this week, actually fired her PR team. She hired a new PR team. And the only reason she really would have done that is she doesn't like the press coverage of her. She doesn't like the way social media has been treating her. There have been different social media movements that are against her. There's been an online petition that she gets canceled out of Aquaman 2. So she can't like that. She must be feeling it. And right now, from what I've seen on the outside, more people are supporting Johnny Depp than Amber Heard. But, you know, there's still people who believe her. Well, but you watch her testify... It's so sad to watch and listen what she's talking about. It's got to be demoralizing. I don't even have the words. It's beyond belief that she's in the position of talking about some of this stuff, having to outline who her former lovers were. Is that what she had to do? And that's not even the worst stuff she's outlining. I mean, you have to think about it like this. The jury would have to accept that this is a person who made up an entire set of allegations against an A-list actor to benefit herself. What did she have to gain by doing this? And that's the thing that kind of stands out to me. And when she's talking about this, people who say she seems rehearsed, you know, you could have a witness who takes the stand and is completely telling the truth, but they're nervous to take the stand. They want to be prepared to tell their story and they might be scripted at certain points and might have phrases at certain points. That doesn't make them a liar. It doesn't make their story not true. It just maybe makes them a little bit prepared. And I think that's an important point to remember. Do you think there was too much made by her testimony of the wealth of Johnny Depp and the generosity of Johnny Depp and on and on and on? To me, it sounded like she was swayed, at least in the beginning, and by money. Does that coming across or it's just in my head? I don't see it that much. The argument that she was after so much in their divorce, was after so much money that people said she wasn't entitled to, and then she gets a $7 million payout, and then didn't donate the money to charity like she said, but maybe pocketed a large amount of it, that's a good argument that maybe there was something, what was she, a gold digger, that's what it was. I don't see that so much, though. Okay, so Jesse, help me here. Tell me where the trial is and what's going on. Right now, Johnny Depp presented all of his evidence to show that he did not abuse Amber Heard. Amber Heard started her case by reframing the narrative and saying that she is not the abuser. She was the victim. And I think the jury at this point could be undecided. And I'll tell you one other thing to remember. There's him suing her, but then there's her suing him. She's countersuing him for $100 million. That is a separate part of the case. And she needs to prove that Johnny Depp defamed her by publicly calling her a liar, by publicly saying that she created a hoax and faked her injuries. And that is a separate question that I'm not sure the jury is quite decided on there. I will tell you at this point, if I had to decide the case, if I was sitting on the jury just about Johnny Depp, uh, about whether or not she defamed him, I would say he loses the defamation case. Now, in terms of her countersuit, I'm not sure yet. Wow. You know, I don't even think about the countersuit. I think his is just for his name, and he doesn't expect to collect $50 because she doesn't have it. But you're saying that there's a chance the jury could award her $100 million? There's a chance. Does it mean it'll actually happen? Maybe not. There's two separate things here. You could win a case. Let's say she wins. She proves that he defamed her. Then there's a separate question of what is the payout? Is it going to be $100 million? She has to show what her lost earnings were. Or is it going to be something much less? That could very well happen. Well, it's fascinating what you're living through, and it's fascinating that you're in the court. I can't believe it. So I have one more question. How have you grown from being in this trial? 
I've definitely grown as a reporter. A lot of what I do is behind the desk as an anchor and host. I've definitely grown as a reporter. And reporter really discussing issues in real time. Something happens, I go right outside and report it. And then also, I think I've grown as an attorney, too. You know, learning about this different aspect of the law that I've never really covered a defamation trial quite like this before, particularly the celebrity aspect of it as well. It's a fascinating study. It's a great learning experience for me, and I'm happy to be doing it. Well, listen, I miss you. I'm glad you're uh, being able to cover it. I find it amazing, and uh, I think both of them are beyond help right now. I think both of them have hurt their reputations forever, and I don't know how either of them will recover but this country likes comebacks, so we'll see. Before you go, what's going on with the Supreme Court and the leakage of this so-called abortion decision or memorandum or what have you? So this is kind of unprecedented. There are two big issues here. First, let's talk about the leak. Whether it was about Roe v. Wade or any other case, the fact that there was a leak of a draft opinion from the Supreme Court is so problematic. It's a draft. You're not supposed to know what the Supreme Court justices are thinking or how they're deciding until they issue a final decision. So the fact that this happened, there's obviously going to be an investigation, and it is possible that someone broke the law. Now, draft opinions aren't necessarily classified information, but there's something problematic here. And if it was a lawyer who did it, they could be disbarred. They could be brought up on ethics complaints. This is highly problematic. Is there a chance that one of the Supreme Court justices suggested to leak it? Oh, my gosh. I mean, this is a it's a conspiracy theory and I'm pure speculation. But could this be the case where a justice would have done it? Maybe. I mean, this is the most important case that we've had in so long, and it's going to have ramifications. By the way, if you believe this opinion and it actually happens, this would have ramifications for the entire country. And so if a Supreme Court justice did this, it's unthinkable to think that they would do it. They would be tossed out immediately because you cannot have this, whether you're on the left or the right. This is such a big problem. Hold on one second. During the Trump administration, the president which is a different equal branch of government, had leaks coming out of his presidency every single day, everywhere, leaking private conversations, conversations with government officials, and on and on and on. Our country didn't seem to care very much about that. Isn't that equally bad? That is very bad. Why this one feels more is because the Supreme Court is supposed to be an independent body. They're sacrosanct. You're not supposed to know what they're thinking. You're not supposed to know their lives. They're an independent body. But Jesse, help me here. You're supposed to know what the president of the country is talking privately to a president of another country? Well, if that deals with an issue of national security, then it shouldn't be leaked, sure. But if there was an issue there where it might become the president was compromised, that's a separate point. I don't even want to get into that. Well, you don't want to get into it, but I'm trying to make a point here. They're both equal branches of the government. They're both segmented and separate. Why is one leak any more devastating than another leak? I'm not saying it is. If there's a leak of classified information, that is the same degree of severity, in my opinion, as the leak of a draft opinion, even if you don't classify it as confidential information or if it's a a criminal act. Both are problems. The whole thing with Trump on Ukraine was his private conversation with Zelensky at the time about what was going on. And everything that was going on, it was leaked. But hold on. That is an issue about whether or not the president committed an impeachable offense or a criminal act. This is about an opinion. If they decide to overturn Roe v. Wade, that's not a crime. That is their legal decision. People can 100% disagree with it. They could be uh, protesting about it 100%. But their choice to overturn it based on legal grounds, that is very different than investigating a president or somebody in the administration who might have broken the law. Can I ask a question? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. After 50 years of this legislation being in place, what was the stimulus that brought this to the forefront or to the door of the Supreme Court? I believe the case was from Mississippi about banning abortions after, I believe, 12 or 15 weeks. And that's what ultimately the court said. You know, we're going back. We're looking at Roe v. Wade. It was wrongly decided. It was just an overreach by the court. And the problem is that people saying, you know, when we talk about a privacy right in the Constitution, that has been able to protect a lot of kind of ancillary rights, you know, people who have rights to LGBTQ rights. And so people are concerned that if they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade, then you might overturn same-sex marriage or something like that. Well, talk about a government putting itself in uh, dire straits. We don't have enough problems without having to deal with a women's right to choose. Uh, As I've said all along, 
I have determined earlier in the show, I've announced that I'm an independent. I pick from column A and column B, those things that are democratic or socially related. I pick from their side when I agree with them. I think a woman has a right to choose, although this whole subject is dynamite because you're not talking about a cell. You're talking about what is a human being after 15, 16 weeks. They're just hanging out in a different place. This is a mess. So the key here is two parts. What is their actual decision? And two, why did it leak? Just what we need now. As if we didn't have enough problems. We got Ukraine. We got COVID. We got the economy. Now we got this. This is a movie. Nobody agreeing with anything. Everybody disliking each other. Crime running rampant. Inflation. We need to start it from scratch. For what reason? But I guess any judge anywhere can take a position and then the government has to deal with it. I haven't read the Constitution in a while. Is there any statement or anything whatsoever relating to abortion in the Constitution? Directly, no. There's a, a, the privacy right based on the Due Process Clause, and through that, there's been a grant of rights through that. They say an abortion is a type of privacy right. All right. Thank you for almost clearing it up. By the way, I want to be clear about something. Two other things to think about. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, Then it goes down to the states so that each state would decide how they want to regulate abortion. Um, And that's going to be tough because if you live in a state where they outlaw it, then you got to go to another state. Now, there is a discussion that with the upcoming midterms, if there's a sweep of red in Congress, there is talk that there could be a, a law passed that bans abortion nationwide. Now, I would say to you normally that would never happen. But I also never thought that the Supreme Court would actually overturn Roe v. Wade, so I don't know. You know, when I was a young man and I was single and I was dating, etc., the idea of, by accident, impregnating a woman and not having a choice of what to do was insane. It was the scariest thing in the world. And trust me, nobody stopped being intimate. It was a very, very bad place to be. And country, like it or not, came to a conclusion that was allowed to continue forward. I can't believe we're dealing with this, and I'm really sad about it. In this regard, I'm on the left. Women's right to choose, and whoever wants to get angry at me, go right ahead. All right, Jess, anything else on Amber Heard and Johnny Depp? That's it. I love you. I miss you, and uh, I'm excited to come home. When do you think there'll be a decision? Not till the end of May. Really? So much longer. Oh, yeah. She's got to call more witnesses. She's going to be on the stand. There's a there's a week break next week. So there's no court next week. They're going on a break, and then they'll come back. Wow, wow, wow. One more question. I can't stop. I'm sorry. Johnny Depp's behavior, do you think it was a little peculiar while she was testifying? Great question. So if anybody doesn't know, two things to keep in mind. So Amber Heard's testifying. The witness box is actually pretty close to Johnny Depp. Okay, so you're saying the fact that he never looks at her when she's testifying, he's looking down, he's doodling, he's swaying in his chair, he's talking to his attorneys, he's never looking at her is very fascinating. Now, people would say, well, when he testified, Amber Heard was looking at him the entire time. One of the factors, again, to consider is how close he is to her. He might not want to make her feel uncomfortable. The jury might say, here is a man who's staring down his ex-wife. It might be a problem. She was a ways distance away when he was testifying. Now, the other thing to look at it the other way is the fact that he's not looking at her kind of makes him look like he's ashamed of what she's saying, right? And it looks like he's embarrassed by what she's saying, and he doesn't even know what to look like. It is something to keep in mind, and I'm sure the jury's looking at him, too. I find it peculiar for... One of the greatest actors in the history of acting doesn't know how to put on a pose that would be more sympathetic to his cause. Well, if he looks at her, they would say he's intimidating her. Well, there's a way to look soft eyes without trying to intimidate her. You know, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, I can't believe that you're saying this stuff. I mean, if she's making it up, I'd be shaking my head. I'd be beside myself. So that is a little peculiar. Anyway, Jesse, thank you for checking in with us from Virginia. I love you. We'll miss you. Look forward to you coming home. And uh, I like this. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Love you. Hey, Jess, you're big shot now. And all I want to tell you, this show, at the top of the mountain, the winds blow harder. and You got to feel that wind. Talk to you later. Always in fashion. I've been shopping for fun lately. And while I'm out, I always look at men's and I look at women's what's going on. And I was particularly interested in DKNY because of their sponsorship of the show. 
I went downstairs at Macy's, 34th Street, to look around, and I saw DKNY activewear. And I promise you, ladies, it is sensational, from the sports bras to the crop tops to the uh, leggings and the sweats. It really is a great look. And DKNY had begun as an all-American brand, dressing, casual clothes, and jeans. And the stuff looks incredible. And right now, the colors and the styles is so exciting that I feel great about the company. I always do. I wear the menswear all the time. I've had situations where I've gone to big events and been interviewed and TV or the radio and someone comes up to me with the microphone and like they always do, who are you wearing? And here I am, this big shot with big company and they say, well, I'm wearing a DKNY. And they laugh and say, no, you're not. I actually have one on the internet where you could see me. They ask me what suit I'm wearing and I say DKNY and open it up and there's the DKNY label. Great fashion. It fits well. It looks right. It's designed to make you comfortable in the city. It goes from day into night. You can wear it in the morning, you wear it in the afternoon, and you look cool at night as well. It's great for the office. It's great for leisure. But I was talking about the DKNY activewear. The first time I really became aware of it, Jesse and I were up at Sirius Radio. He was doing uh, a job for Sirius. He does uh, Dan Abrams show. He fills in on the POTUS network. A beautiful Latino woman walked in. She was wearing a DKNY sports bra, and I said to myself, this is amazing. I actually went to Macy's to see it, and I'm excited about the brand. And I tell you what, ladies, DKNY always has great fashion for work, always wonderful dresses and things that you'd wear. Their accessories are great. The shoes are always very cool. But activewear in particular right now looks sensational, and being that everyone's athleisure and activewear, it's a great time. DKNY, go take a look. Welcome, Welcome back, back to, to Always in fashion. fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber. Whether you've been walking, as I have, or in this instance, I wanted to talk about playing golf. The wind has played a factor. And the higher you are, the stronger the wind blows, which got me thinking of the metaphor about business. When you're on the top of the mountain, the wind blows harder than anywhere else, which is an explanation of responsibility and the buck stops here. The more senior you are in a company, the more important you are in a company, the more people that you have reporting to you, the stronger the prevailing winds are. In this case, the pressure. And I started to think about that. And, you know, I had an interesting golf story I wanted to share with you just before we get into it. I went to the PGA store out by me. I have a series and set of golf clubs that needed new grips. What are grips? For those of you who don't know, that's where you hold the club. There are some kind of plastic or rubberized material that allows your hands to stick to the clubs when you swing them. And they wear down. Over time, they just don't have the same friction. So I went in to get them repaired. And I walked up to the guy. Hi, how are you? Would you changed the grips on my clubs for me. He said, sure, go pick the ones you want. And I came back with them and I said, can you do it right now? He says, we can't do it. We're very busy. I said, come on. You know, I, I really need them. I want to play tomorrow. I'm going away on a trip and I want to uh, be able to play. He says, can't do it. So I've done this a million times in my uh, life before. And I said, well, listen, I'll take care of you. Do it for me. And he says, I can't do it. So I'm scratching my head now, wondering what's going on. I see the worker, you know, doing the work, cutting off the grips from the old ones and applying new ones to someone else's clubs. And I said, I bet you he wouldn't say that. Look, I'm not asking you to do me a favor. I'm willing to pay. Now, normally I would pay 5 or $10, but because they already said no and because I needed them, frankly, and I have no patience when it comes to waiting. I don't like being online. I don't like waiting. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give the guy $25 if he'll do it for me. So the guy happened to hear me, who was doing the work. He said, what is it that you think I'd say differently? So I walked down to him and I said, listen, I need my clubs done right away. And I would like you to do that for me. And for that, I'm prepared to pay you uh, an additional $25 if you do the work. And he looks at me and he says to me, he's too busy. And I said, yeah, I know, but we're talking about 15, 20 minutes. He says, yeah, I have a lot of other work that's promised and I can't do it. Now, I tell you this story because it's a story in life. It's a story about hustling and making money. And who's right here? I can't answer that. I walked away from this. I left my clubs. I came back two days later, and they were ready for me. And I can't tell if these guys were angry at me or not. And wow, they looked at me. Because I am the typical stereotype for some kind of guy, I guess. You figure out what that means. But I know that they didn't like me for the way I behaved. And yet, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I didn't ask for it for free. I understood they were busy. And in my mind, 
if this guy had to work 15 minutes late tonight and make an additional $25 cash, wouldn't that be a great thing? I mean, how much money could he be making a, a week? I don't want to knock it. He's a talented guy, I'm sure, and a nice guy. But it got into thinking. And the kind of people that we deal with and what you are, I offered him the opportunity to make some money. All he had to do was work a little later. Take one less break, and he turned me down. And I know they looked at me like I was a pompous, you know what. Anyway, back to work. I had a long road to the top. I remember a year I won an award, and I said, I'm an overnight success, and I want to thank you all for this award. It took me 30 years to get it, (laughs) some overnight success. I remember when I first started working, it wasn't easy for me. I just want to put this in perspective to you. Yeah, I was the CEO of two massive companies, but I didn't start that way. I grew up in the city projects. I had a commute to get to the city. Sometimes two buses, but usually one bus, then a train, the subway into the city. Sometimes I had to change it to cab. Sometimes it was a straight run through. But once I got there, I got there, and then I had to walk at least a mile to the office. It was not an easy commute. Oh, and by the way, to get to the bus going, it was a mile. So all said and done, it was a commute, and I had to go there. And I remembered the amount of hours and the amount of time that I had to put in to find some success. And I would tell you, you know, I worked hard, I worked smart, I had some talent, and and I did well for myself. But I want to jump, and I want to go fast forward, really all the way up to the top, because I want to talk about what it was like and being a president and not being. On the subject of not being, I want to go back a step again. I used to be important. And every time I say that to Jesse and my other son, they get crazy at me. You know, Daddy, you are important. I say, listen, I'm not important. And the truth is, I knew what it was like to be important. I knew what it felt like. I knew how people treated me. I knew how people spoke to me. I knew how people went out of their way to make sure that they acknowledged me. Today, I could tell you that when I go to a function with my other son who's in the fashion and retail business, people will knock me over to get to him. In the past, they used to come by and knock him over to get to me. I know what it felt like to be important. And do I miss it? Yeah. Nobody wants to be cellophane, just see-through. Nobody cares. It's something it takes an awful lot getting used to. And it's one of the things that surprised me in giving up that industry, because I'm still around it. I'm still talking on it on a show that's called Always in Fashion. My eldest son is in the fashion, retail, and luxury business, so I'm still surrounded by it. And uh, I can't help but escaping this. But I remember, and this week again, I said to my son, I used to be important. And he looked at me and said, you know, I'm surprised to hear you say that. You're a guy who professes you really don't care what people think about you. I said, I really don't. But I know the difference between being respected and disrespected. He said, no, I don't want to go there. You said you're not important. Daddy, you're important to your family. You're important to your friends. You're an integral part of this family. You're the one we come to advice. You're the one we come to for moral support. What's more important than that? doesn't matter who you are at the office, whether you're the CEO of the company or you're sweeping the floors. You have a family, you have friends, you're important to them, and you have to try and remember that. And I will. But someone very, very close to me this week, we were all together, we were talking, family friend, let's call it. Something came up and I referenced my book, Always in Fashion. And during the course of that conversation, I said, did you enjoy reading the book? And she looked at me and said, I didn't read the book. I was beside myself. I mean, I almost had no use for her. Now, I can't because she's important to the family. She's part of us. But ah, I was crazed. And I I walked away and I left everyone in a weird feeling because I used to be important. I mean, I'm the patriarch of this family. I wrote a book, two books actually, but this one, everyone has copies. How can you not read it? Then, same thing this week, another story. My eldest son, 
runs a company. He's big shot in the company. He has a lot going on. He's important now while I'm not. He's the one giving me advice while I'm not. Calls me one day from the office. I got a surprise for you. Someone's on the phone. On the phone is this guy who used to work for me when I was at Donna Karen and DKNY. And he was an attorney, very capable guy, who I took a shine to and a liking to. And he wanted more out of his career. He's one of those guys that felt comfortable talking to me, not afraid to say he was not happy or he thought he could do better. And he sat down with me one day after talking with his boss, and I asked to speak to him. He said, look, I love it here. I love what you're doing. I believe in the company. I believe in me. I don't want to practice law anymore. I think the future is the business side, and I want to get involved in the business side. I speak a foreign language. I'm willing to travel anywhere. I could learn quickly. You know I'm a smart guy. You know my energy level. Would you consider putting me in a position where I wouldn't be an attorney, but I'd actually be in the business side? I said, let me think about it. Spoke to his boss. She said she'd be okay with it because she, like me, liked him very much. And we moved him, made him vice president of one of our divisions in the licensing area with lawyers are particularly adept because it's all about contracts and relationships and lawyers learn all about that stuff and their practices. We moved him in there and he had a run. Took over our Japanese business, took over many of our other parts. The company did an extraordinary thing. I left the company. He went his own way. I don't know where he went. One day, my son and I are working at his company. I was a consultant for a while and he shows up calls up my son and says, I'd like to talk about your company. So my son grabs me, what do you think about him? I said, I told him to call you. My son hired him, put him back in business, and he was revered by all. For reasons of his own choosing, he chose after a couple of years to leave. As life would have it and circumstance would have it, another opened up a couple of years later. My son said to me, what do you think about bringing back this fellow? I said, great idea. He's loyal, he's hardworking, he's smart, he'd be wonderful for you. And sure enough, there he is on the phone. Daddy, I have a surprise for you. Wait till he was on the phone. He gets on the phone and I start to talk to him. Hey, how you doing? I love working here. I love working for Jared. I do miss you. I'll never forget the chances you gave me, Mark, and blah, 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 blah. Hey, man, what do you think of my shows of late? And he gets quiet. <laughs> I said, uh, maybe I wasn't clear. I asked you, what do you think of the shows late? And he goes, well, um, I haven't listened. I said, so let me ask you a question. All these guys you supposedly admire and think the world of, you feel that they were great and had an impact on your career as a mentor, they have their own radio shows and podcasts? No, you're the only one. And you didn't listen to me? I hung up on him. My son was still enough. I said, I don't want to talk to him anymore. And that's what I am. It comes down to me, I'm venting now. I used to be important. I'm not regardless of what anyone says. But back to work, I worked really, really hard to become a president. It's funny. When you are any level in the company, there's always someone above you. And the reality is even me. When I was this or that or vice president, I... You know, I took my work to heart. I worked as hard as anyone. I tried to be as successful as I possibly could be. I worked hard to perform and be excellent in what I did. This was important to me. And the truth be known, I wasn't on the line. Someone else above me, neck was on the line. And it was always, you know, relatively easy. It's his problem or her problem, whoever I reported to. It was not my problem. And if there's something that came up, I had always someone to go to. I had someone who got my back. I didn't make the final decision on difficult decisions. And I recognized that no matter how important you were, someone was more important with you. And someone at the top is where the wind is blowing, which is what the show is about tonight. At the top of the mountain, the wind blows harder. There was always someone up to the top of the mountain and not me. And as life went on, I continued to do all these things. And I always knew there was something else. Until I got to CEO. And then the world changed. Because when you turn around, there was no one behind you that you could look to, to be your mentor, to be your advisor, or to take the heat. There's a reason Harry Truman used the word, the buck stops here. He was the president of the United States. He had no one else to, to go to. He had to accept responsibility and authority for whatever decisions he made, as did I. I'd been the president of the company for seven years at the time. I'd been the president. I was named CEO. And all of a sudden, I realized what it meant to be at the top. No one to blame but yourself. 
And I thought about that, and I thought about the impossibility of that responsibility. And I felt the wind. Ted Turner said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. I understood the difference between leading and following. I understood that being the president or CEO is all about communication. Who you talk to? Everyone. You talk to the people in the rank and file who have to understand what the goals are of the company. You have to motivate them to be excited about the company. You also have to talk to your officers of the company, the vice president, senior vice presidents. These are the people who are going to execute on your behalf. Management has to believe in what you're saying. As a CEO of the company, you have to have a message for the world. For your customers, what is the marketing message? What does your company stand for? That's your responsibility, as well as for the shareholders, the people that invest in your company. And last but not least, you have a board of directors who have to believe in you. They have to understand where you're going. They have to sign off on your direction. They have to support the shareholders. Make it no mistake. No matter who you are, when you're working for a big company, you're not working for the guy standing in front of you or above you or the gal above you. You're working for the shareholders. I mean, private companies, small business companies, the owner's the CEO. You're working for him. He has to pay off bills. Sam Walton said it best. I'm not the CEO. Every one of our customers is the CEO. They make the decision on this company, whether to buy or not to buy. And having said that, I always took this very, very seriously. When I was at the top of that mountain, the top of that hill, I felt the wind blowing. I felt the pressure. I understood what I had to do. Like it or not, you're dealing with people's lives. You're responsible for making sure you hire the people that can make the company successful. And if they're not, unfortunately, you're also responsible for firing those people. And last but not least, you're fighting for time. You're playing for time. Time is the only commodity that you can't replenish. You have to time manage that company. You have to manage the time of all the employees, all the people in the company, to make sure that time is being used efficiently. And all of this is about people's lives. You're responsible for all the people. You're playing with people's lives. And you are at the top of the mountain where the wind blows harder. And with that comes all the responsibilities that I just discussed. Pressure, time. You're challenging yourself to be better. You're negotiating with everyone. And it's as tough as it gets. And there's a reason the president, the CEO, gets the big bucks. Because at the top of the mountain, the wind blows the hardest. I'll be back in a minute. Always in fashion. As one of the world's most celebrated fashion designers, Karl Lagerfeld was renowned for his aspirational and cutting-edge approach to style. His unique vision of Parisian chic comes to America through Karl Lagerfeld Paris. He has women's collections, men's collections, ready-to-wear accessories, shoes, and bags. The fashion house Karl Lagerfeld also offers a range of watches, eyewear, and premium fragrances. You can explore the Karl Lagerfeld collection at karllagerfeldparis.com. But it's more than that. I, for one, love to shop. I love going around and seeing what's happening and what catches my attention, what would make me feel good to wear. Now, I don't wear the women's wear, obviously, but I can appreciate it, and they look amazing. If you want to look right, you want to have clothes that fit you well, you want to look like you're wearing something that's very expensive, that's exclusive for you and yours, you can find it at very affordable prices at Macy's or CarlLagerfeld.com Paris. The women's ready-to-wear fashion is extraordinary, as well as the handbags and the shoes. I, for one, wear men's clothes, unlike my appreciation of women's clothes. I'm a modern guy. I want to look current. I want to look the way I want to feel. I go out at night, I'm in black, and Carl Lagerfeld is my buddy. Clothes are great. They fit great. And they have little tweaks and touches, whether it's a stripe on the sleeve or button at the neck or on the shoulder. There's a lot of details that go into Carl Lagerfeld. Because he's always been, he always had been, one of the world's great designers. And this legacy and goes on and on. I can't speak enough about it except to say to you, you want to feel good about yourself. You want to know that you're dressing properly. You want clothes that fit you well. Carl Lagerfeld Paris at Macy's or CarlLagerfeld.com. Welcome back to Always in Fashion. Here's your host, Mark Weber.
At the top of the mountain, the wind blows harder. It stands to reason. That's what this whole show is made about. And I uh, have been to the top of the mountain, and I have been not so. I'm on radio. I'm not important anymore. <laughs> and it manifests itself in a number of different ways. And I talked about it earlier that... Uh, my children think I'm important, but things are just differently. And I'm pleased to say, this week in particular, I asked for people to comment on LinkedIn. We got a lot of very powerful comments this week. And I want to talk to you about them just in general. I shouldn't be surprised because when you're at the top of the mountain, you're also a target. We did a show a few weeks ago called, You Can't Say That to Me, I'm an Expert. On LinkedIn, some guy said, Donald Trump, if he was a Garmento. <laughs> now, Garmento really means of the apparel industry in New York City. But when it's used, it's a derogatory comment. I spent my life never giving a reason to be called a Garmento. I never dressed flashy. I never wore gold chains. I never showed my wealth or lack thereof. I was just a guy who has a point of view. I know how to look. I know how to look my best. I know how to present myself my best. And, you know, over the course of years, I went from a good-looking guy in a suit to uh, a guy must know something. But I never was a garmento. And for someone to call me that, I really find it degrading. I don't like it. I don't like what it implies. It's like the worst of the worst. But you know what? This guy was entitled to his comment. And apparently we worked at the same company at one time. I don't remember if I was involved in letting him go, but that's a different subject. Maybe he'll listen. See, because I don't believe he listened. I believe he looked at the title of the show and said, who is this guy to say he shouldn't be challenged? I'm an expert. I can see where it sounds pompous. Maybe. When you look at all the titles of the show on the internet, you go on Apple, Spotify, or iHeart's uh, podcast networks, you'll see the titles of the show. They're all there to elicit a response. If you looked at my book, every single chapter in the book, Once in My Life I Was Brilliant, Pearls of Wisdom. Go Know Pearls of Wisdom is a story about honesty and integrity. They're all designed to get you interested, to draw you in, to bring you into my sphere because I believe I have something to say and I believe it's important to catch your attention. And this particular guy called me a garmento and I believe more than anything because he didn't comment on the show itself because he wouldn't have said that. But one individual fellow wrote me something that really meant a lot to me. And I had someone record it for you so you can hear it. Thank you, Mark, for connecting. I must truthfully say each week you top yourself. And I, in my field, notice something special, something unique. A well-formatted one-hour radio show that's not an interview show or a call-in show is indeed do or die, no in-between. Either it works or it doesn't. And wow, does your show work. You're a life learner. You know, how to think, not what to think, which has consumed two whole generations. The world needs many more Mark Webbers, unique in their own way. You are a life teacher. Seeing the trees, but also seeing the forest, is rare. I do think the show must keep going on different media outlets, but you haven't yet tapped all your various talents back by charismatic communication of something meaningful for all people. You must get more exposure. That's true. Period. It's not difficult, Mark. It's tricky, but not a huge problem whatsoever. Stretching a bit, you do sound like you'd be great in a zany, fast-paced comedy. But multiplots happening, and all comes together in a long act three like Some Like It Hot, or any Blake Edwards film, or any dark comedy mob movie. You have funny in you, for certain, because you're smart, and have life comedic experiences to draw from. Sorry for babbling, but someone had to tell you how damn good you are. I can't tell you how much that particular call-out on LinkedIn meant to me, because... I'm not looking for fame. I'm not looking for fortune. I'm looking to, on one hand, help people 
Because I think this show, as it said in the beginning, here to help you find your success. I believe that my stories, my examples, the way I tell them, the way I point out those things that I was involved in, how I learned hands-on what were going on, are ways to help. But I'd be disingenuous if I told you that was really my reason. You see, I'm never bored. But one of the reasons I'm never bored is I'm always occupied. I'm always thinking. I'm always doing. I can't sit still for a minute. I've been that way my whole life. Don't get me wrong. You put me in a room. You put me in a golf course. You put me on a beach. You put me on a trail. You put me in the water. You put me on a boat. You put me in the air. Anywhere you put me, I'm going to find a way to enjoy myself. And if I don't have to look at my phone, or if I don't have to call you back, and if I don't have to interact with human beings, period, nothing would make me happier. Because by and large, I'm a recluse. I like my own company. Or I dislike yours so much, I'd rather be alone. Sorry, but that's the way it is. But for someone to recognize the so-called specialness of the show and the way we deliver these concepts and the interest that it generates meant the world to me. So once again... I tell you all out there, anybody who's listening, and I know we have hardcore listeners, enough of you write me that you listen every Saturday night and Sunday night, means the world to me. It's one of the reasons I keep coming back. It's one of the reasons I almost never, ever take a vacation from this show. Wherever I go, I bring my computer with me to make sure that I can record. And Jesse does the same. means the world to me because I know at the top of the mountain, the wind blows harder. And when you're on radio, on WOR in New York, and you're on podcast on Apple, Spotify, and iHeart's podcast app, you're at the top of the mountain. I want to continue to do the radio. I want it to be syndicated. I don't know how to get there. I believe this would make sense as a television show. We're thinking about doing it for YouTube. But at this stage of my career, after all these years, being a CEO, running companies, being responsible for millions of people or certainly tens of thousands of people, I find nothing more rewarding than talking to you here on radio and podcast about the lessons I learned. And for that, I'm forever grateful. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. Good night. I'm on top of the world. Hey, I'm on top of the world.